The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Father in heaven, we come to you and you're the maker of all things and you control all things. You redeem all things through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, any good, Lord, that we do <clears throat> comes from you. And Lord, we confess sadly that just as was pointed out in the last uh, plenary session by Jeremy Pierre, that we are sinners. And that just, uh, that messes up all of our perception as well as actions. So help us to think and desire biblically and help us <clears throat> in a way so that we can help others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you are your calling. You are your calling. That's the title of this. And what I want to focus in, in is that concept of calling. You have your notes in front of you. Uh, the Protestant Reformation was very significant for a lot of different reasons. Okay? Uh, people get offended when I say that, but the Protestant Reformation needed to happen and it's still needed. If you ever go to Brazil or you go to South American countries heavily influenced by Roman Catholicism, you'll see what I mean. The Protestant Reformation was significant. Uh, you realize the, and it's not impotency, <laughs> that's a bad typo, okay? The importance of the five solas, okay? In our circles, probably, we don't have to go around saying, you know, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, those five solas are, are very well known. <clears throat> but did you know, to put it in Latin, omni means all. Uh, there are alls that the Reformation uh, spoke about, and most people don't know those, or at least they don't concentrate on them. Understandably, because today, in the emergent church, which I call the submergent church, uh, sinking like into liberalism, the reality is that Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone, the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone, it's not a given. That's totally aside. I don't want to go on a rabbit trail, but I honestly believe and say to the seminarians I train, most of you are going to end up in jail. Because... The United States is sinking quickly into the garbage heap of nations in terms of abortion, uh, all the other things that are going on. We don't hate people. Their quarrels with God, not with us. We have to love them. We have to love our enemies. But the reality is, this ain't your grandmother's America. Okay, and we need to get used to that and study Revelation not to try to determine what's going to happen at the end times. Uh, what happened then is going to happen now. Most of the books in the New Testament talk about a persecuted church. And so we need to understand. But, but I want to focus not on that, as important as it is, but on the alls. Do you know, and several are listed here, all believers are prophet, priests, and kings. Reformation talked about that. doesn't mean there's not ordained authority. Not everybody's a minister in the same way. and you know, Running around baptizing people and doing the Lord's Supper or whatever. That, that's, that's chaos. That's not 
biblical Christianity. Okay? I used to tease about that. You know, my wife spoke at a, a Southern Cal retreat years ago, and she found that she had an extra talk, which was the worship service, and they were going to have communion. She goes, ding, 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 time out. I don't do that. It's not my prerogative. I'm not an ordained minister. Shouldn't be doing that. We're all prophet, priests, and kings, and I'll talk about that in another workshop today. Uh, secondly, all believers can be holy, and that's where we want to camp down in our legitimate callings. You don't have to go into a monastery. You don't have to go into a nunnery. In fact, you know, most people shouldn't go into that kind of vocation, not just ecclesiastical callings. That was a big deal then, and since we live in predominantly in the past a Protestant-influenced country, we don't see that here. It's very interesting. When I first came out to SoCal in 82, um, they had the then vice president of Converse Sneakers in Mexico City, Ciudad de Mexico. And uh, he came, he was going around to evangelical seminaries, and he was giving a talk, which was very interesting, Campus Crusade, you know, Cure Now. Uh, brought him in, and he was saying what a non-Christian saw, sociologist in the early 1900s, Max Weber, the Protestant work ethic. He says there's a difference, uh, he said, Weber, that there's a difference between the northern European countries that were influenced by the Protestant Reformation and the southern European nations that were predominantly Roman Catholic. And uh, what he said is the same thing in Mexico now. He says, uh, Hispanic culture, by and large, is influenced by Roman Catholicism, which is what? Feast days and manana. So the idea of saving for the future or building up a country, that, that, that it's not the mentality. And uh, he was involved again with uh, Converse Sneakers uh, there in Mexico City. And he, he was contrasting what Protestant Christianity, at least in the past, had done. And one of those is the Protestant work ethic. You can dig ditches to the glory of God. You can milk cows to the glory of God. Okay? Okay, have you got any farmers here? Okay, bottom line is you can plow the soil. People didn't think that that was godly, uh, you know, just studying the Bible or writing uh, new manuscripts of the scriptures. So that's one of the alls, and we're going to camp there. And then, of course, the last one I mentioned is all believers should have God's word available in his or her own language. Well, we take that for granted, right? But that wasn't a given. Not only wasn't there a printing press in terms of available, everyone had to hand copy, but uh, preaching was in Latin, the scriptures were in Latin. People couldn't understand it. Even the priests couldn't understand the scriptures. No wonder the church got in such bad shape. So today, I don't want to talk here in this one. I'll talk in another workshop about prophet, priest, and king, and how important that is to counseling. It really is important to counseling. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the word, we have that, praise God. But I want to camp down on this whole idea of calling. These solas and omnis have profound impact not only in the church, but also the whole society. A lot of people don't know our three forms of government in the United States, again, are influenced by Christianity. Why? 
because the founders of our country, for all their sins, slavery and other things, right? They knew one thing. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and you can't be trusted. That's why we have to have, you know, two other parts of the government check up on another one because nobody should be totally trusted. Or as Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So those are important, profound things. Now, secondly, in the introduction, perhaps the key to this whole shift, I think, was due to the God and word-centered nature of that movement. You can't understand how profound, okay, uh, the guy from Logos was speaking about the impact, okay? You cannot, cannot emphasize too greatly the importance of the Bible. God speaks through his word. And if you want to know what God thinks, go to the word. Get my arguments with my, some of my charismatic friends and go, hey, does God speak to you every day? Well, no. Okay, fine. I'm cutting out the middleman. Let's just go straight to the Bible because that's what we know is the word. Okay? Grudem and others to, to the contrary. I don't, still don't understand Grudem's position on the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can make mistakes and not give you... That doesn't make any sense in terms of the Bible that I read. Anyway, back to this, okay? Remember, the Reformation was personal to the core. It is a what? A tri-personal God that determines to save individuals. Jesus said, I know my sheep, what? By name. I call my sheep by name. They aren't going to follow an imposter. But my sheep know my voice and they follow me, John chapter 10. These individuals are called by name by God. Humanism in all of its various stripes are what? And still is what? Man-centered. Okay? Uh, we are this in basic course. When you take the average of 500,000 sinful husbands, what do you get? The average sinful husband. Huh? Yeah. There's only one normal person that's ever lived. That's Jesus. Every, Jesus. He's the only, yeah, he's the only normal person. Why? Adam and Eve were, but they messed up. The bottom line is, as we saw in the last plenary session, we're all tainted by what? Sin. We look out on the world, and God is the only one who has the clear eyes, okay? So calling becomes a key concept in the Protestant Reformation, both in the general calling of salvation to sonship or daughtership to God in general, but also a calling, and this is the lesser one, to vocation of service. Today, we'll talk, what do people talk about? Careers. It's not a biblical concept. Calling is a biblical concept. Career is what? Just as to put it in uh, Lord of the Ring terms, my precious. My precious. Okay? And why did women get mad, you know, 40, 50 years ago? And they became what? Female chauvinist pigs, right? Because they didn't like male chauvinist pigs. But without Christ, <coughs> they became lusting after what? 
career, I gotta have a career. I don't have to stay at home. And what happens? A lot of those early feminists, even non-believers, are going, what? Oh man, the time of having kids has passed. So calling is so important. And I think you can see how that would be important counseling, right? I don't know about you. Have you ever been stuck in a job that you don't like? Or maybe a job that you like with a boss that you don't, you know, gives you a hard time? What's life like? It's misery. It, no, it's not fun uh, to get up and have to go to that. So you need to grasp the significance of calling for human identity. How important it is to know my calling. God has not only called me to be a son or daughter of his, he's also called me, you know, for us, we're the blessed ones, I think, you know. We get to make our living from preaching and praying. How cool is that? Don't get paid what the ballplayers do, but, you know, get, get paid to pray and to preach. That's incredible. So first, you need to understand the calling to sonship because without that basic, calling sort of degenerates into career and something I have to protect from other people. Okay? Second, you need to understand the call to vocation. And finally, you need to see the implications of the relationship between sonship or daughtership in Christ and calling when what? It goes the other way when things begin to fall apart. Hello, I'm over 70, I can tell you. Things don't work the way Brian had to go through brain surgery. for. Two. The body doesn't work the way it used to even when we were young, okay? So we wanna explore some of that with you. First of all, uh, and again, as uh, Jeremy said, we don't want to steal uh, Keith's thunder or someone else's thunder. You need to understand God's calling to sonship. When you face cancer or death or loss of other people, there's nothing but God that can comfort you. It's that simple. Is that simple. To be honestly, I mean, I, I don't want to be too sticky or campy, but you know, Sometimes the only thing that comforts is when your heavenly father picks you up, puts you on his lap. I know he doesn't have a physical lap, but he holds you there, you know? I've had those experiences, you have, right? It's almost like God goes, God, what? You know, son, Skip, if I explained it to you, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> so just take your comfort in me, right? Uh, so your kids, what do you do when your kids are afraid of lightning or thunder? Then you just hug them and hold them. And, you know, you don't need an awful lot of explanations because that's not going to help them. It's why your presence rocking them to sleep. So Genesis 1, you know this, man's an image bearer of God. The only way we can know ourself is in the face of the living God. That's who we were meant to reflect. You know that. The fall obviously mars and distorts the image of God, but it doesn't kill it, okay? That's why it's wrong, you know, to kill babies in the womb. That's why it's wrong to single out, uh, as they did in China and India, we don't like girls. Sorry, ladies, you know, think Americans are bad. Really, right? In China, in India, boys, they only count. So we're gonna cull out the girls or at least uh, let them be adopted by Americans. 
See, see, the point is, the fall mars this, but they're still image bearers. Women are just as much image bearers as men. And that little, that little kid who has Down syndrome, I'm, from, I'm back in Pennsylvania, I was born and raised in Philly, I'm in Pittsburgh now, we can't get our Governor Wolf to protect against selective abortion. Who says that that child doesn't have a right? I mean, I want to say to Governor Wolf, you're not such a good reflector of God either, <laughs> right? I mean, when you think about it, every one of us, whether it's physical or spiritually, we're not reflecting God the way we should. It's marred, but it's still there. That's why God says, I will require the blood of human beings at the hand, anyone that takes their life. That's why I was so serious. Remember in the Old Testament? Hey, there's a dead body. Wasn't me. Really? Okay. Let's see who's the closest you know, city or village is. And you guys have to swear that you didn't kill that person, you know, and shed blood of an animal symbolically because that, that blood of that human now pollutes the area. Okay. So, so it's so important. And, and of course, now with the LGBT plus, you know, and the furries, you know who they are, right? The kids that think they're animals. You all looking at me strange? We're the only people that get them at a convention. They walk around, you know, like they're wolves or cats. Have you seen that? No? They don't have that a lot in Uganda. Right? Okay. But, but the bottom line is there are kids that do that, right? Now, I have a pretty tough counseling way of convincing people they're not wolves. I can drop them off in Yellowstone. Uh, it's a local pack, and they will decide one of two things. I'm not a wolf. Or I got the wrong pack. Because <laughs> the bottom line is, they're going to find out real quickly. I love birds. If I jump off the building, try to flap my wings, it'll take about two seconds for me to have a rude awakening when I hit the ground. I'm not a bird. What if you identify as a bird? Hey. That's a joke, I'm sorry. I know. It's a, I'm no joke. Yeah, you, if you identify as a bird, then I would come up with you, you know, Here's the bottom line. If I think I'm black and seven feet tall and 20 years old and I'm going to be in the NBA draft, guess what? I'm going to have a bad day. In fact, I'm not only going to have a bad day, I'm going to have a bad week, a bad month. A bad... I am not going to play in the NBA. Not even my younger days when I was healthy would that happen. So the identity is very important, see? And so if I think I'm an animal or if I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, this creates all kinds of problems. Where's my identity? Jesus Christ. Why? That's right. He's the only one that pleases the Father. I get in on his, you know, on, on his work. Okay, so it's very important. The fall mars us but doesn't erase it. God calls his elect to adoption of sonship. And that's, I think we're going to have that later today. So in the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham, leave Ur of Chaldees. Go over to this land that I'm going to give you, okay? You got a new identity. You're not going to be the old pagan you used to be. You are now the adopted son of Yahweh. And the New Testament becomes even more important, right? What's the Holy Spirit called? He's the spirit of adoption, whereby we can call God Father. So... It's important, the New Testament, John 1, 12, as many as received him, what, 
He came to his own creation. His own people didn't receive him, but why? To as many. Anybody Jewish here? Ethnically? No. Isn't it amazing? Almost no one. That's God's original people. And the gospel went out to the, to the Gentile nations, and here we are. Most of us are Gentiles, and we're saved. And, and so the adoption, uh, Romans 8, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Ephesians 1. Okay, all those passages, Rich. So God's call comes to all true Christians and is the basis of sonship and service to God as uh, God and Father. That's important, okay? Because, again, and this is another counseling issue for another time. If you don't understand sonship or daughtership, right, you begin to still believe God is what? Your judge. He's not your judge anymore. Now, on the other hand, uh, people have hit really strongly and properly. We're sons and daughters, but guess what? Sons and daughters get what? Fatherly discipline. Right? People go, God never, God never disciplines his people. Oh, really? Dude, have you ever read uh, Corinthians 11? Some of you are weak, sick, and some of you are even asleep. And that's not because my sermons are boring. Okay? So a nice way of saying, y'all dead. Okay? Why? And he says what? God judges you so he won't have to condemn you along with the world. So it's different, but it can be a severe punishment. The bottom line is sonship and daughtership should what? Free us up. Free us up. Why? There's no condemnation. There's no hell for us. We're guaranteed into the new heavens and new earth. And that's another sermon for another time. I'm not longing just for heaven. That's a temporary. I'm looking for the new heavens and new earth and my resurrection body. That's what we should be looking for. It's wonderful to be absent from the body. It's to be present with the Lord. But, you know, Paul goes, we don't want to run around naked. You know, we want our bodies. Okay. So all of this is rich. God chooses his adopted children. Jesus comes to save us. And the Holy Spirit then drags them to Christ. That's the scriptures. Okay, and again, I won't go on and on about that, but that's important. That's just the basics, right? That's the basic foundation. So if you're counseling people and they don't know Christ, they don't have their identity. So they might think they're a whale. They might think they're an animal. They might, might, might think that they're transgendered or whatever. We need to be compassionate. Why? That's a confused person. I tell people all the time, you know, you know, I can look in the mirror and if I go away thinking, man, that guy looks like Spurgeon and can preach like Spurgeon or, you know, or I'm handsome like, you know, Tom Cruise. I'm just fooling myself. <clears throat> but if I can look in the mirror and go, you've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're dressed in his righteousness. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Somehow you can pull this off. And that's important when it comes especially to death. Hey, my life is not a waste. Why? I've been bought by the blood of Christ. I'm his. God's going to use me. Okay? So that's the basic. Okay? True believers are no longer sons of the devil, but are sons of the king. Ephesians 2. 
The New Testament epistles explain how to live out this new life and identity individually and corporately. First church I went to, I preached through Ephesians. Uh, it's a great book. Why? It starts with God, what He's done in eternity. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He made you alive. He's delivered you from the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, uh, you're now what? Jew and Gentile. Christ is the cornerstone. We've got the foundation. You're being built into a living temple. That's pretty cool. You're, you're, you're the dwelling place of God. And that whole identity, individually and corporately, sets the stage for what I do with the rest of my life. I mean, that's really what we come to in calling. What should I do? Okay? Uh, God calls, uh, comes to all true Christians, and uh, that's the basis. Secondly, okay, main point, you need to understand the calling of God to His sons as to vocation and service. Again, A, this is one of the forgotten emphases of the Protestant Reformation. Okay? I have a purpose in life. Doesn't have to be spectacular. I don't have to be a movie star. I don't have to be in the NBA. I don't have to be, you know, a, a famous uh, mogul that uh, develops things. Okay, that's great too. We need that. Okay, we need that. We need people that are not just preaching the gospel. That's the start. But what? Think, you know, I remember the first time I went to Uganda back in the in, uh, early 1990s. And, and my picture of Uganda, I still remember this. Is, there was a telephone line, and the pole was almost on the ground. The line was holding up the pole. And I'm thinking, gee, things are backwards, okay? And after Idi Amin and, you know, how do we put a country back together again? How do you do that? You know, how do you take a nation that's uh, uh, got an AIDS epidemic, you know, going through it like a lot of the Africans? How do you turn that around? Well, see, that's not... Just, it starts with the preaching of the gospel, but we need what? We need businessmen. We need businesswomen as well, too. Why? Why? I hate to tell you this, but, you know, if people don't tithe, you don't get a salary. <laughs> you don't get a salary, you don't preach. You see what I'm saying? It all goes together. And so people, this is one of the forgotten emphasis, is that Christ gives gifts to his body. Now, that's the church, and I know it's narrowly for the life of the church. But think of Ephesians chapter 4, right? He calls some as prophets, you know, apostles, pastors and teachers, what? To train the people of God for what? Their vocations in life. Whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a farmer, okay? Whether you uh, raise fish, tilapia, or whatever. The bottom line is that needs to be done to the glory of God. So Christ gives gifts to his body. Psalm 68, Ephesians 4. By the way, I throw this in. I love to quote that when J, JWs come by. This is a, you know, it's a free one I'll throw in. Okay, uh, uh, okay uh, let's read this. When he went on high, he led a host of captives, captives. And he what? Gave gifts to men. Where's that come from? And you sort of... Psalms, you know, go back to the Psalms. Okay, now let's read the Psalm. Who is the psalmist speaking of? It ain't Zeus. It ain't Zoroaster. It's who? It's Yahweh. So, let's go back to Ephesians. 
Paul's either a bad theologian or Jesus is God. Uh, I also take him to John 8. Throw that in there. For what good work are you going to stone me, right? You make yourself out to be equal with God. Now, what Jew would stone Jesus for claiming to be Zeus? Wouldn't happen. See? Okay, back to what we're supposed to be doing, okay? Um, I just love, love the scriptures. Okay, so Ephesians 4. God gifts these people, okay? And see, I believe the Great Commission is now superimposed on the cultural mandate. Go back to Genesis, right? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to marry, right? Not just cohabit. Get married, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. Okay? Again, Western uh, sociologists and theologians uh, that are liberal, the world is overpopulated. Really? There are some places that are crowded, India, elsewhere. But I, there's a lot of room up in Baffin Bay. Okay? Uh, up in northern Canada, there's plenty of room. But nobody wants to go there and take dominion. Okay? That's what we're supposed to do. I don't think God's pulled that off the table. Now, Matthew 28 is on top of that, right? You can't do the Great Commission. And that's the problem with uh, whatever form of imperialism, whether it's Russian or American or whatever. We can't go in and impose a way of life on people, just again, and think that 1,000 years of hatred between Sunnis and Shias and Kurds is going to go away in 24 hours because somebody throws a lot of money. We go in and we help to create Taliban to fight the Russians, and now they're killing us, okay? People's work, apart from the work of Christ, doesn't work. I like to say this to class. No bloodless revolution works. Oh, what do you mean? Are you for violence? No, 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 no. Any revolution without the blood of Christ doesn't work. That's why the Bolsheviks were as bad or worse than the czars. And that's why, you know, uh, white supremacists are as bad, you know, slavers. Then the honky got killed in the, in the 60s. So you have the black nationalists. And you have female chauvinist pigs to replace male chauvinist pigs. Why? Because Christ is not involved. Okay? But taking that, it's not just witnessing to people. It's also setting up what? Good corporations. Just to give you an example, uh, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, but I'm hanging out now in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, if you know anything about Pittsburgh, that was and still is the place of Heinz ketchup. Remember Heinz? Uh, 57 varieties. Now, it's very interesting. See, that's, here's a man who wasn't a preacher, but he started a business that went bankrupt when he then reformed Heinz and started a second company, and God blessed it. He went back and paid every penny he owed people because he believed as a Christian he owed that to them. And you should hear his will and testimony, his last will and testimony, giving the glory to God. This guy took care of his workers, okay? That he saw a calling. I am called to express my Christianity to the people who work for me in this corporate setting, okay? So he set up gyms and 
other things for, for his workers. And so that's what I'm saying about that calling as a Christian wasn't just to preach the gospel, but to help people in a biblical manner. Okay? And, and that's there. The Great Commission is now, I think, superimposed on the cultural mandate, Genesis 1.26, cultural mandate to work as God's vassals and kings and queens. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel, doing what? Baptizing and then? Making disciples by baptizing and teaching whatsoever I've commanded. I remind you, it may be minor, but we'll go over it. Some. There's a lot of passages in the scripture about work. How to be a godly boss or godly worker. Okay? So these are the way that the two great commandments are to be fulfilled, to love of God and love to others. New Testament gives detail. So C, D, vocation is a calling to some specific expression of sonship as service to God and others. It's, it's very intriguing. In missions, Muslims are doing this now, schools, hospitals, are all ways of what? Getting the gospel out. Doesn't replace, can't replace preaching. But why? Because if you don't keep the person alive, you can't evangelize them. You know? If they're dead, they can't worship the Lord. You know? If they are so poverty stricken, okay? And uh, that's hard, it's very interesting. How do you do that in a rural village, you know? where there's uh, not an awful lot of cash economy, you know, uh, how's the pastor going to live? <coughs> People have to make bricks and put up the church building, etc. There's ways that we need to do in terms of the world. We can't go back to a monastic life where we pull out of it. We need people doing this. So God, you need to, uh, God to grasp calling in contrast to career. So look at the whole book of Proverbs. There's a lot in there about being what? Excellent in what you do. You know, if you're, if you're excellent, you'll stand before kings. Well, if you're the guy with the big appetite and you're going to the kings for dinner, better do what? Put a knife to your throat. Why? Because the king's going to look and go, that guy's a liability. <laughs> he's not getting in my, uh, you know, he's not getting in my pay. He'll eat more than he's worth, okay? So you know, that's what the, a lot in there. Ephesians 6. Okay, look at that. I'll just read one passage. But, you know, you, you've done this, and if you preach through Ephesians, you get to that. So you talk to people about what's your calling. See, in America, calling is so important. Why? People tell me this all the time. I can't get a good worker. I can't get somebody to come to work on time, sober, and actually wants to work as opposed to just getting a paycheck. So the gospel is not perking down to people's lives, and so they go into work, what? They just want to get a, you know, a free, a free ride or whatever. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So, wow. I need to treat my boss the way... Uh, uh, wait, he's not very Christ-like. She's not very Christ-like. doesn't matter. You know, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Remember, see, it's the heart issue. 
as Pierre was saying in the last hour. Uh, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same thing to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is able both he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Would that transform a business? Would that change the way people, you know, if a boss would treat the workers like their family and that honor? Uh, that's, that's so crucial. You got Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 6, Titus 2, 1 Peter 2. Uh, all these passages deal with that. Why? Because, again, the Christians are going to be a persecuted minority in the Roman Empire, and they're going to be marginal. How do I live under that? Okay. Two, see the book. Uh, here's a suggestion. What is vocation? Uh, PNR published it in 2010 by Stephen Nichols. He goes through defining vocation. What's vocation? Working the garden. In other words, going back to the garden. What was work before the fall? And, and to think that through, a biblical and theological framework for work. I'm just highlighting some of the points. How not to work, how to work, work and paychecks. And he goes into the whole thing of not just doing it for money to live. Finding meaning in the ordinary, doing all to the glory of God. Now, I mean, let's face it. You know, if you're working assembly line, doing a thousand rivets, it's pretty hard to conceive. How can I do that to the glory of God? Well, praise God through them all. No, you can sing, you can do things, do an excellent job. By the way, boss, I think we can make this more efficient. Okay? Uh, praying for your boss, okay? Not just witnessing, but, you know, being a good worker. Why? Because being a good worker will give you an opportunity to say, why do you work so hard? Everybody else is sitting on their tush, and they're not doing their work. Why? Do you do? Because I'm trying to do this for Jesus. By the way, you're not very Jesus-like, so it'd be good if you get converted. You know, you'd be a better boss. You know? You know? By the way, if you don't talk to your workers like this, you, know, you, know, you can say that respectfully. So being salt and light. So Also, William Perkins, Glorifying God in Our Jobs, an old Puritan, Puritan publications has got that. Got at work, uh, Wheaton Crossway. Uh, every good endeavor. So these are some of the things that are out there that you might want to look at in terms of vocation. And uh, probably you're not going to get a lot of people coming in and saying, I need vocational training. Can you help me? But, you know, if you're a pastor, you need to be helping kids. Uh, not everybody should go to college. In fact, these days, almost nobody should go to college because <laughs> it's, it's not a good investment. Okay. So uh, what do we want to do? Your kids are probably going to make more being a plumber, you know, than, than being a physicist. So uh, you need to think those three things through, okay? Uh, thirdly, though, you need to see the relationship between the two callings in the light of providential poundings, uh, whether they're accidents or aging, okay? So if we get people to think, oh, boy, I need to do this for God's glory. What are my skills? How can I get into a calling? Um, and it's easy to see some of them, like being a missionary doctor, or going into a, a, a closed country. I know people went in, 
they had master's degree in uh, agriculture or especially hydro management of water and going into kind of a Middle Eastern country and, and doing something there. Uh, Jim Neuheiser, you know, who's the, the head of IBCD, he was a pastor, you know, of an international church in Saudi Arabia. And of course, I teased him and said, you know, if you were Presbyterian, you could have got away with it because you could have baptized somebody instead of doing it in the ocean, you know, by immersion, you know, in front of the, the police, you wouldn't have got deported. But anyway, he was there, okay, and he's working for a petro company. So we think of those things. How can we do this, okay? I honestly believe that if we want to help uh, third world or, or uh, nations that really don't have an awful lot, or Rwanda or Burundi that are torn up, you know, by the wars, the, the lake wars there, how are we going to do that? We have to go in and build a whole culture, and it's not going to be just preachers, because again, the infrastructure of the country needs to be there. So we need teachers, we need lawyers, we need jurists, we need all these things, okay? And so, but then once we get people doing that, I hate to say it, now I'm 73, you just get the hang of what you're doing and all of a sudden you start to fall apart, okay? And that's the other side of it. You're more than your calling. My wife loves to pray this way. You know, when we get old and we forget who we are, forget who God is, he never loses track of us. And when your skills begin to degenerate, my mom was the most godly, one of the most godly people I have ever known. She died of Alzheimer's. She couldn't even pray at the end. Last two years, she just go, ditto, Lord. <laughs> that was her way of saying amen. But at the end, she couldn't even pray. Of course, the old Baptist hymns that we learned as a kid, if we would sing those, you know, you could see her lips move, you know. That's one of the last things that goes in Alzheimer's. So, so when you think about this, I, I want to push this whole thing of calling. But remember, the most basic calling is son or daughter. And, and that'll never end. So when you can't be a doctor anymore, okay, when you can't be a lawyer anymore, when, you, when whatever little ability you have to preach goes and you can't preach a lick anymore, you're still God's son or daughter. And you need to take comfort in that. So you need to fight to find, uh, and that should be your calling within your call to sonship, okay? Um, and that I mentioned Jay's book, Wrinkled But Not Ruined, uh, Counsel for the Elderly. I've just read that, reread that again recently. You fight to become as competent as possible. And there's a lot that I haven't said about that. We help people to get that. Um, and again, it's, it's tough because you've got secular universities, but at least they're secular. Anymore, you send kids to Christian schools. You know, you've got Christian schools now saying it's okay to have gay relationships, you know up the road here, uh, Azusa Pacific, and you know, classically Christian schools that are kind of losing it, that are as bad or worse than secular. So you gotta fight to get those kids to get that kind of skill. But then accidents or age chip away at those abilities, right? That's why, it's, praise God, you, know, you can still preach, you know, even after the physical problems you had, that's just an extra blessing. I had a friend, uh, he, he preaches now, but he got a stroke. And like for two years, he couldn't preach. He goes, you know, I'm so frustrated, Skip. He says, yeah, 
The word's right there. The word's right there. I can't grab it with my mouth and say it. It took him about two or three years to recuperate from that. And that was pretty hard for him because, you know, his whole identity was wrapped up. He had been a you know, military chaplain, you know, retired 06, preacher, but you know, the words weren't there. And so we need to be able to comfort people with, again, the most basic thing of our sonship in Christ. Accidents chip away at bullies. You may lose your competency in your vocation, but your sonship does not fade. You may lose your secondary calling, but never your primary permanent call to sonship. Uh, the lessening of capacity does not, in a typo, mean you are loved any less. Amen? You need to remember that. You need to hold the elderly people, okay? Well, again, uh, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, what, what a blessing she's been with the limitations, okay? The woman in Del woman Delaware, that's when I was an intern, uh, she's dying of cancer, and I walk away going, who made the pastoral call? You know, How are you doing? What's pastor preaching on? How so-and-so, or whatever. Never forget that experience. She was the one that really ministered more to me. Well, here's Scipione's dictum, G. You come into the world bald, toothless, and needing a diaper. You may exit it bald, toothless, and needing a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> but you are loved more than when you first came in. That the love of Christ. Now you need to remember that. But again, it's, just, it's amazing uh, uh, how we fall apart. The book by Adams is simple but extremely helpful. And I just point you there because pushing toward uh, career is good. But then you have this whole thing. What is aging? Some preliminary considerations, these are chapter headings. A different view of aging, okay? Planned obsolescence, the problem of illness, discouragement, depression, despair. And by the way, this may happen to younger people who have accidents or whatever. We have a friend, actually, I won't even mention, but she was in the biblical counseling movement, incredibly capable, former Navy psychiatrist, I'm a biblical counselor, some of you know this, but she committed suicide. We didn't see it coming. She fell, got an ex a bad concussion, and she hobbled for the rest of her life, and she couldn't think straight after that. Person who was, was brilliant. You know, and, and see, it's that kind of thing. She, you know, and as much as we loved her, we didn't see it coming, okay? But uh, when a person begins to lose that capacity, you have to backfill going, look, you're still loved, not any less valuable. Okay. So we want to find that vocation that God calls us to, whether it's one year, two years, uh, two decades. But when it gets on the other end, we need to, we need to comfort those people. Okay? So discouragement, depression, despair, uh, the loneliness that they face, the self-centeredness often, the anger, bitterness, cynicism that can happen, false expectations. Planning and scheduling. I mean, I can just tell you that. Uh, people said, what do you want to do? I said, I can't wait till I'm 70. I stayed a couple extra years so they could get my replacement. He's getting his PhD at Southern. and Great guy. And uh, to do what? I want to go back to Uganda and other places, you know, to, to do biblical counseling. Because wh what's missing? This is another talk for another time. The doing of it. Everybody runs around the world. Good guys teaching good content, but no one sees it. Uh, for example, if you're an English speaker, 
you can dial up thousands of good sermons. Right? Sermon audio. Pick who you want. Vody Bauckham, you know, Washer, whoever, whoever you want to pick. There's not one biblicalcounseling.com. You can't dial up live cases to see it. So to use the analogy, when people hear about preaching in preaching classes, they still have to go hear sermons. You can't learn preaching just in a class about preaching. You can't learn counseling just by having a class about counseling. Irreplaceable. Haven't lived until I have. You have an urban black couple with a Chinese guy, you know, uh, and boy, watch them go at that in terms of counseling. That, that's, that's one of the things about our seminary. We have a big variety and people get to counsel cross-culturally. Okay? So, so uh, I can attest to that. I'm waiting to do this, right? Last year I didn't make it here because I had blood clots in the lungs and legs. Still do. You know, will I be able to travel? The Lord only knows. So God's, you know, I'm going, you know, see, wait until you're 70, because Wayne Mack did it to go to the mission field. You know, he's my hero. I'm waiting till 70. You know, God changes the gears. So those, you know, false expectations. Planning and scheduling introspection, it's helpful. I think that's a helpful little book for the other end of it, okay? So to end up and then we'll leave the last 10 minutes for questions. You must know your calling. First of all, as a son or daughter, and then B, as a part of the body of Christ, and as part of reflecting God's glory and power, what does God want me to do? Okay. Obviously, God didn't call Jesus to have a family. He called him to be the Savior and go to the cross. Paul, okay, you need help others to find their callings and then to help them through the diminishing of their abilities. Well, I'll end there. It's, I know it's a quick overview, but I think it's important to get from the golem, you know, my career, it's my little idolatrous uh, thing that I'm going to worship, to what's God really want me to do with my life and how can I bring glory to God? Questions or responses before we uh, go to lunch? Yes, sir. Find yourself, you know, new Christian, you find yourself in a career that you, you would probably tell something else if you'd been a Christian earlier. Mm -hmm. But still, you find yourself right there, and you're good at it. I think your calling is probably where God put you at. But okay, so the question is, okay, you've become a Christian later in life. You're in a career that you probably wouldn't have chosen, but you're good at it, and you're doing it. Well, again, that's a... That's where freedom comes in as a believer. You can say, okay, I'm good at this. I'm going to continue to do this and set aside money you know, for missions. Or I'm going to do this in, a you know, in another context, another country. I'm going to start talking to mission boards in terms of how can you use my gifts. Well, we have a mission station, our, our little denomination up in Karamoja, you know, the northeast part you know, of, of Uganda. So, but they've got a medical clinic there, okay? Well, they not only need a doctor and nurses, but what? Maintenance guys to build buildings, you know, to fix the, the, the water supply when it goes. So there's a, a variety in terms of how to take those skills that you've developed and you're in that career and actually use it for God's glory. You could say something, uh, hey, I know you're not a Christian company, but... It's pretty good for PR, isn't it, for us to do some uh, international relations here? Would you mind sending me over here to do this? 
uh, we know a car dealer that uh, it's actually a, a kid goes over to Uganda and, and teaches uh, auto mechanics, you know, at a certain place because uh, they do that. And they're also doing that in Nigeria, which, you know, with the chaos there, you know, in terms of what's going on, we have friends that, that are uh, uh, the one tribe, they're being wiped out by the Fulani, you know, in terms of if they really are Fulani, but they're, they're pastoralists that come in and they're, they're Muslims. And I mean, people are getting killed there. Yeah, building supply. There's all kinds of things that people could do. So you, you sit down and say, look, I can't be God's conscience for you, but you have freedom in Christ. You know? So that, that's the way I would approach it and say, okay, what are your skills and how, how can we use them? Let's, let's call up uh, our church. Uh, if you're an independent church, you probably have several missionaries in different places. Or call up other agents and say, can you, can you use somebody with this skill set? Well, there's some people with uh, great skill sets, and they can do what? They go disaster relief. Go to Haiti or uh, go to Thailand or somewhere else, you know, where, where even a, you know, most people wouldn't be able to go in terms of a, of a rough you know, kind of situation. Yes, sir? I don't know. Do you want to follow up with that? Was that? No, I, I, that's pretty good. I mean, I think God gets, equips us with certain gifts and actually put be part of our consideration in our calling. That's right. What God has made us good at. Yeah, you don't have to be miserable. The Bible never said you have to be miserable. You know? yeah. But, you know, go do what you love, but do it to the glory of God for it. Yes, sir? So, like, you, you were talking about and talked about in the Word, that we're supposed to go make disciples and all that good stuff. We all pretty much know that verse. Also, um, my question is, or my, I guess my statement is based upon, so what is our calling? So we should know what our gifts are, Right. Right. We should know what our gifts are. Well, there's, there's spiritual gifts. Right. And there are general skills, gifts that God gives. And I think using those are important. Like I said, you know, if you have uh, agricultural skills, there are places that you can go. Um, so, so that becomes a question of, you know, what do I have? And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with trying something. I teasingly say, I know I'm not called to teach junior high school kids. I know that because by the end of the hour, they or I would be dead or both. You know, it's, it's just not my skill set. So I'm not going to try to aim at being a junior high school teacher or, you know, working in the church with junior high kids. There you go. Very good. What was that? Middle schoolers. Middle schoolers, right. Okay. So, go ahead. Sure. Say a pastor, and he obviously doesn't have the skills set or the requirements to be the pastor in that calling. Um, oh, now you're getting personal. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you see it all the time. You see people sure. who are failing in their positions. Yes. And um, how to approach them with what their calling is, is. Look, one of our, our things, if I can't travel, we want to open up Shepherd Shelter. I don't know how we're going to fund it, but you know, there's pastors all the time. Uh, missionaries, okay. Uh, just a quick one. Army, ch Army chaplain, wife accused him of something, could ruin his career. Where's he going to get help? Uh, we've got a missionary that we know of who went to a country that has polygamy, preaching the gospel. He's having sex on the side with people there. 
and, and, and has a set. His mission board pulls him back and he goes, now, well, I have, I have a second wife over there. Okay. Uh, uh, those guys shouldn't be. First of all, that's a long story. There's another. If you're a dirty old man, you should never be in the pastorate. Just bottom line, you dirty young man, you don't have the qual you don't meet the qualifications. Now I've seen guys who get into trouble not because they have a lust problem, because they're stupid. You know, they counsel women alone or whatever, you know, and, and just do stupid things, okay? But but the bottom line is when you see people that are in a position, I know lots of people in church positions have been thrust there because we got a slot to fill as opposed to we go with the skill set that God's given us. And so, you know, that's another talk for another time. Yeah, when somebody's in a position that they're not really capable of, they're going to be miserable and everybody else's too. And sometimes the kindest thing that you can say to somebody is, I think you're in over your head, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well then, there can be gracious ways of, you know, getting out. Uh, but, you know, again, this, uh, the call of God uh, is not revocable. You've got to do what God's called you to do. Of course, some people don't know what they're good at. Like Moses. Huh? Like Moses. Yeah, well, of course, uh, I'm telling people, I'm 73. I got seven more years before I'm actually qualified, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Moses started at 80. And, and uh, Caleb, you know, he's still fighting when he's 80. Dude, he must have been a tough, tough nut. Okay. So, uh, okay. so I mean, this has been a quick over. These are good questions, but uh, yes, ma'am. I think, too, that when we think about vocation, we need to be careful in our definition of success. Like, God's ways are not our ways, and sometimes we can look at ourselves when we're being introspective about what we're doing as our vocation and feel unsuccessful when maybe we are having... Maybe we're just making a living, but we're ministering to people around us, but we're not the star at our job. So how we define success is going to... Being Christ-like, okay? And, yeah, exactly. and being faithful in what, okay? Yeah. Uh, all the biblical principles. Faithful in a few, I'll make a rule over many. So in other words, if you have one talent, don't bury it. So it's interesting. The guy with the five talents gets praised. The guy with two gets praised. And the guy with one would have got praise, too, if he got one more. God wouldn't have expected him to get four or ten. But the problem was, he says, I knew you were a tough, you were a tough character, and, and so I was afraid. And he goes, that's exactly why you should have put it into practice. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take a, a slacker. So, yeah, we have to help people. And that's also hard for people in ministry because humans tend to compare, well, that guy's successful. I mean, we cracked up when we had the ACBC conference down at Jacksonville when Heath Lambert, who's the pastor there, you know, First Baptist in Jacksonville. Yeah. I go, dude, their parking garage is bigger than most of our church buildings and facilities. You know, they had their own police force or whatever. You know? So if you're comparing yourself to that, but, you know, God hasn't called you know, most pastors go out in a single pastorate and they have to do everything. You know, they got 70 people. But, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So, you know, again, that varies because there's certain times where being faithful doesn't seem to bring fruit. Okay. Well, it is quarter of. Let me pray and let you go. 
and if you want to talk to me personally about this afterwards, we can, we can do that. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light to be sons and daughters, and that'll never go away. And so then, Lord, on the, on the vocation issue, Lord, in a sense, we can be like little kids in a candy shop. You know, I want a little this or that or try a whole bunch of things. And actually, Lord, most of us uh, uh, just want to put all eggs in one basket and, and, and not be uh, innovative and creative. Lord, uh, thank you that the whole world is open to us for as long as you give us life that we can please you. Strengthen us and keep us. Help us to help people. Uh, not to lust after ministry, but to lust after vocation uh, and, and long for pleasing you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.